So tonight we're uh, back on Grow, uh, first one of 2020, of the decade, not of just of the year, first one of the decade. Uh, and uh, as you all know by now, the whole point of this uh, particular Sunday night that we call Grow is all about helping you think through your discipleship. What does it mean for you to grow as a follower of Jesus? What does it mean for you to enter into a deeper relationship with Jesus, to live out your life more fully for Jesus? All those kind of things. That's what we're focused on and grow. Because it is the most important thing you'll do. To grow, to become more like Jesus. And so that's what we're focusing on. And um, tonight, what I want to, our, our theme tonight is uh, finding your purpose or discovering your purpose. Uh, and uh, it's one of those things that you know, people often struggle with because we're led to believe all sorts of things about purpose and I'll talk about it in a moment but purpose for all of us seems important because it kind of answers the question of why am I here? Yeah, why am I here? Is my life just an accident? or does my life actually have some significance and meaning? and most of us unfortunately kind of give up on this whole thing around what's my life for and just end up uh, living life by accident, not on purpose. We live life just from day to day. We get up, we have our breakfast, we go to work, we do the chores, we go shopping, we do all those kind of things. We eat again and then we do whatever we do in the afternoon, we eat again, then we have a watch of telly in the evening and go to bed and repeat the next day. And it can sometimes feel a little bit like it's a treadmill of pointlessness and a lot of people feel like their life's like that they just get up they do their stuff they go to bed but surely being a Christian adds more spice to life than that doesn't it good there's some smiles and a few yeses good Uh, it should do and in the Christian world and Christian preachers have always talked about you know God has a plan for your life and I absolutely believe he does But what does that actually mean? So I want us to think a little bit about purpose. I want to think a little bit about what does that actually mean in terms of the kingdom. And then we'll think about a few things that you need to do to help you discover more about this. All right? That's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, And I want to think, just first of all, what is purpose? Because I struggle with this. I'll be absolutely honest. The way I've heard some preachers talk about purpose, I'm thinking... No, because they talk about, you know, you having this tremendous, life-transforming, world-changing purpose. And it kind of is, but it isn't. Because our idea is, you know, I'm going to become some massive missionary. I'm going to be the next Billy Graham or the next J. John or uh, the next uh, Jackie Pullinger or what. You know, this kind of big stories that we all hear about Christians who do incredible work. And we all think, well, we're not going to be like that. That's what God wants for my life. And we all go back to Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Of course, that was given to Israel, to a nation and not to an individual. We need to remember that. And so the way sometimes we talk about purpose gets me a bit frustrated because for the majority of us, we don't have the big story to tell about what God's done in our life. We don't have this kind of, you know, I'm going off to Hong Kong to be a missionary or, you know, I mean, I, I've met all sorts of people who've done incredible things. You know, done, they've changed nations. I've met people who've almost literally changed the nation. 
And you think, wow, why can't my life be like that? Because we all can't do that, can we? Because there are only so many nations, you know. Uh, but that's not always our calling. So for the average person on, in the pews in church, what does purpose look like? That's what I want us to think about. What does purpose look like? See, for most Christians, they'll be thinking, well, you know, well, I just kind of live my life as best I can. You know, if, I, if I'm an employee, I do the best I can as an employee. If I'm a, a wife or a husband, I try and be the best wife and husband. Or if I've got kids, I try and be the best mum and dad. I, I want to say it's more than that. For all of us, it's more, more than that. Much more than that. And I think for all of us, we have, first of all, a general purpose. And then for some of us, we perhaps have more of a specific purpose that God leads us in. I want to focus more on the first of that, but I'll touch on the second. But what I want you to kind of just lay to one side is any preconceptions that I'm talking here about God taking you to do incredible things for him. You can do incredible things, but our idea of incredible things means kind of the big thing. I'm starting a charity that will touch nations or, you know, all those kind of things. It's, it's often much more ordinary than that, but lo, no less transforming than that. See, the reason why we want purpose quite often is for the same reason everyone in the world is looking for purpose. They want their life to mean something. We all want our lives to mean something, don't we? I don't want to go to the grave with my life having counted for nothing. And the grave is getting closer. For all of us, but it seems very close for me at the moment. So I, I don't want my life to be wasted. I want my life to have counted for something. And I certainly want it to count more than simply being a good dad to, to Jess and Rach. I want it to mean more than that. I want it to mean more in the terms of kingdom. I want my life to have a kingdom impact in the world. And that's the thing that the um, disciples had. The disciples always wanted to be, have a big impact in the kingdom. In fact, one of the things that they had argued about quite regularly was, who's the greatest in the kingdom? They had a couple of discussions around that. And it's really interesting to hear the kind of things that Jesus talks about, about who is great in the kingdom, because it cuts across what we think is good and great in the kingdom. Because he he's not talking about Billy Grahams and J. Johns and Jackie Pullingers and Archbishop of Canterbury. He's not talking about those kind of people when he talks about greatness in the kingdom. He's talking about something else. So uh, here's what he says. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. And then he put a little child among them and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. Elsewhere, he says this, that you must become like a little child simply to enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's something around smallness that is actually great in the kingdom of God. And when you think about some of the parables Jesus talks about, if you have faith as large as a really tiny mustard seed, you can do incredible things. See, hugeness 
Big things aren't always great in the kingdom of God. It's sometimes the little things that are great in the kingdom. When you think about the disciples he called, none of them were particularly gifted or special people. They were, for all intents and purposes, a simple cross-section of ordinary Jewish men. That's what they were. They came from all different walks of life, but none of them were the ones in power. None of them had great, none of them had, uh, great uh, abilities and anything, as far as we can tell. They were just simply ordinary men. And uh, think about Jesus to John the Baptist in Matthew 11. He says, There's truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Think about John the Baptist. What did he actually do? He proclaimed the coming of Jesus and he baptised a few people and didn't get wash. You know, the thing he's most famous for is he wore a hair shirt and lived in the desert net, locusts and honey. He didn't transform a nation. He called people back to Jesus, which was great. And Jesus says that no one born a man is greater than John the Baptist. He's, all he did was simply proclaim the gospel. Perhaps not even that successfully. So we need to kind of understand that in the kingdom of God, having massive impact might look different to how we perceive it, to how we understand it, because we look at all our heroes in the faith and think, if only I can be like that. If only I can be like that great preacher, that great worship leader, that great leader, all those kind of things. They might not actually have in the kingdom the greatest impact. What is our purpose? You know, our general purpose for each and every one of us is very simple. It is the salvation of the world. You can have no greater purpose than that. And it's the purpose that is placed on every single one of us as Christians. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Our purpose starts with that. And anything else that you think might be your purpose needs to fit into that. Nothing else. That is why we are here. We are not here to run a church. We are not here to meet the needs of the saved. We are here for the salvation of the world. To proclaim the good news of Jesus to simply everyone. Every man, woman and child that ever exists and will exist needs to hear the gospel at least once. That is our purpose. And here in this town, our assignment in that purpose is Southport. Every man, woman and child in Southport. Can we actually say, honestly, that every man, woman and child in Southport has heard the gospel? Probably not. So already, you know what your purpose is. Already you've got the start of something it's the kind of the baseline, it's the foundation of everything else that might come out of, in terms of purpose for your life, starts here. That every man, woman and child should hear the gospel and have a chance to respond to the gospel. And when you think about it, that purpose has no regard for who you are, your background, your present situation, your future situation. You can do that anywhere, anytime, with anyone, 
And it doesn't matter what your skill base is or anything. You can share the good news of Jesus with anyone. We are all called to do it. We are all capable of doing it. It has no barriers to this. We're all included in that one overarching purpose to see the salvation of the world. One of us. We can do that face to face. We can do it online. We can do it in groups. We can do it one to one. We can do it in front of large crowds. But we are all called to do it. So whenever you are starting to think, well, what's, what's my purpose in life? Start there. Remember the Great Commission. We are called to reach the lost. Every single one of them. But let me talk about some other things that you perhaps need to do that are the more mundane things. And uh, the first thing I want to talk about is this. Look at what is close by. Whenever you start to think about purpose, you tend to take a long-distance view of where you want to be. No one ever started like that in the Bible. So, for instance, Moses, he gets this incredible call from God. He's got a burning bush, all that going on. And uh, he's told to go to the people of Israel who are enslaved in Egypt and to declare God's freedom. He's setting them free. And Moses is umming and ahhing and he doesn't really want to go. And he says, I can't go, Lord, I can't do this. He gives excuse after excuse. And he says, how will they know? And God says, what is in your hand? And he looks at his hand and he's got a staff. Because he's been out looking after the sheep. He says, throw it to the ground. And immediately the staff turns to a snake and he says, pick up the snake by a tail. He picks it up and turns back to a staff again. But it starts by what was in his hand, what was close by. So your purpose starts with what's close by. See, it's no good thinking that you want to be a great youth leader if you're not ministering to the youth who are closest to you. It's no good thinking that you want to be a great teacher if you're not leading a small Bible study with two or three people. It's no good thinking about that you want to care for all sorts of people in Southport if you're not caring for those who are closest to you who are in your your circle of influence. See, we start with what's closest to us. Everyone starts in that place. They start to learn what they are good at. They start to learn what God has equipped them for by simply ministering to those who are closest to them with whatever they have at hand. You don't have to think about the big thing. I think one of the things I noticed when I came to Christchurch was a kind of fixation about the big. You know, oh, look how many people come to Midweek Music. Look how many people come to Tuesday at two. Look how many people come to uh, Soup Kitchen. The question isn't how many people come. The question is, what are you doing with them? That's the most important question. You could have a far more effective ministry sometimes ministering to 30 than 3,000. Because you're able to meet their needs, you're able to lead them to Jesus better. So you start with what's close by. It's simple really, isn't it? We want to complicate it, we want to think about all these steps to get to the big thing, but just simply start with what is close by. With who is close by. 
And each and every one of you, I assume, have friends. That might be a big assumption. Some of those friends right now either need to know Jesus or need to be reminded that Jesus loves them. Every single one of those friends in some way need that. How can you, as you start to discover how God has equipped you, minister to those people? Our mindset, and certainly when we come to churches, I am here to receive. You've all come here tonight, hoping to hear great worship and a fairly mediocre sermon, okay? But you've come to receive. To discover purpose means that your attitude is all about, how can I give? What have I got to give away? What is in my heart? What was within my life? What is in my bank balance? What is my gifting? What can I give away? That's how you discover purpose. Not by constantly receiving from other people or from God, but by giving away what God has already equipped you with. We all know the story, don't we? The feeding of 5,000. Where does that start? With a little boy who says, oh, look what I've got. A few fish and a few loaves. And it starts there. And then it spreads out. And maybe you will never get beyond simply those who are in your circle of influence. Or maybe God has a plan for you that goes beyond that. You never know. But it starts for everyone in the same place. It says in Zechariah, do not despise the day of small things. You know what? That is a fantastic word. God says that word through Zechariah. Do not despise the day of small things. Because even out of the smallest of things, God can do incredible things. And all your ministry might be is trying to lead one person to Jesus. And you might think at the end of your life, all I've done, Lord, is lead one per person to Jesus. It feels like a failure, but you do not know the impact that person will have on others. You do not know the impact that you've had on other people who haven't told you the impact that you've had on them. Just because they haven't told you that either they've come to Jesus or you've had a big impact in their life doesn't mean that you haven't. At some point, we simply serve God, we serve other people, and we trust God with whatever outcome he wants to bring out with it. Our job is simply to serve, to reach out to every single person with the truth and the love of Jesus. The next thing I want to say, and I've said this before and I'll keep saying it because I don't think people often get this. I want to encourage you to understand yourself. Understand who you are. Understand how God has gifted you. So if I said to you what gifts God has given you, would you be able to answer me? Hmm, maybe. So most people don't. Most people don't even think about it. But actually, how do you start to discover purpose? Well, how has God gifted me? 
And online there are a whole bunch of resources uh, where you can discover what spiritual gifts you might have and all those kind of things. Um, I would encourage you to do all those, all those things. They are not necessarily the truth, but they could be indicators of how God has equipped you. So I, I've, I've done quite a few of these. I can understand how God has equipped me, the kind of things I know I'm good at and the kind of things I know I'm rubbish at. And there's a lot of them and there's only a couple of them. But, you know, that's how God has equipped me. And, you know, uh, my, my biggest leadership hero right now is unsurprisingly Jurgen Klopp. If you ever listen to Jurgen talk about leadership and management, uh, it's inspiring. Because he actually says, I only know a little bit, but I've got a great team of people around me who know huge amounts. And they all feed in, and I make the final decision, but it's all about their gifts, it's all about their knowledge, their experience. So he knows what he's good at, and he gets other people to do what he's not good at. And to me, that sounds like the church, that sounds like the body of Christ. None of you are good at everything, unless, of course, you are Jesus. I don't think you are. But together we do great things. And it's you understanding your personality, your experience, the things that God has equipped you with supernaturally and naturally, that will enable you to start to discover how, within that overarching thing of bring salvation to the world, how you fit in. See, there's all sorts of roles that we sometimes think, well, they're not very spiritual. So, for instance, treasurer. You know, they count the beans, you know? They sort it all out at the end of the year and tell us how much we've got and how much we haven't got and all those kind of things. And it can seem like a very functional kind of job. But it is actually a job that releases ministry. Because if you've got someone who's a good treasure, unfortunately we do, they are able to help equip the church to do the things it needs to do financially. It's a deeply spiritual and missional role. And we can look at it and think it's not, but actually when you see the whole thing around how you handle money in the context of bringing salvation to the world, you understand this is vital. Because pretty much everything we do costs money. And you need someone who's going to help release the money that we have and be a good stewards of the money that we have so that we can do all that God calls us to do. And so it's knowing who you are that enables you to find your place and to do it in such a way that it serves the overarching purpose of bringing salvation to the world. One of the other ways in which you can think about yourself, and I just want to kind of throw this out, and I don't know why I want to throw this out, but I do want to throw it out. Are you a pioneer or a settler? This is a phrase that a guy called Mike Green came up with, because um, as he kind of worked with people, he realised there were two different groups of people, even within all the different gifts and things, that some of them were settlers. Some of them were like, oh, we're church, we'll make church as great as possible, and we'll do really well as church, and live out life as church. And then others are like, church is great, but look over there. Look at the lost over here. Let's go and do that. Let's go and do that. They're the ones who come up with all the ideas. And you can think, well, actually, we need settlers, don't, um, pioneers, don't we, to keep doing new things. And yes, we do. But we also need settlers. 
And unfortunately, there's quite often a tension and a conflict between those two. Because one group was saying, hey, let's go. And the other saying, no, come back. But we need to be able to manage both in such a way that enables the kingdom to grow. We need both. Do you know what kind of person you are? Are you a settler? Are you a pioneer? When you understand that kind of role, then you think, oh yeah, that's why I'm always in kind of at odds a little bit with that person because they're a settler and I'm a pioneer and I want to go and do stuff and they want to sell things. We need both. And it's how you manage that and how you juggle that and how you fit those things together. Because okay, some pioneer going off and starting a new church over here on this estate. But after a few years, they get bored and they want to go and start something else. They need to bring settlers in and say, right, oh, this is how we're going to create church over here and make it work for these people. And then release the pioneers to go off and do their other thing. Unfortunately, what we've said within church, and particularly the Church of England, our settlers are the best people. We've bigged up the settlers. Because let's face it, pioneers are a pain in the neck. But we need a balance of both. We need a balance of both. Do you know yourself? When you look in the mirror, do you think, yeah, I know who I am. I know the kind of weaknesses I have. I know the strengths I have. I know how God has gifted me. You will never fully understand your purpose until you get to grips with who you are. And actually, not just get to grips with who you are, but feel comfortable with who you are. I didn't become kind of comfortable as a vicar until I fully accepted who I was. Because I had all sorts of people saying, oh, you need to be great at the pastoral stuff. And I'm thinking, I'm rubbish at the pastoral stuff. And I felt, I felt I had to try and conform into what other people expected of me. But that's not me. God's not equipped me that way. I'm much more kind of slightly pioneering and a bit more apostolic and a little bit more prophetic and those kind of things. I'm not really the pastor teacher type of person. It's only when I fully accepted who I was that I actually started to, to be effective as a vicar. Next thing is, what's your passion? You know, you might think, well, I'm, I'm not really passionate about anything, but I think a lot of people do have something in their heart that they're passionate about. And maybe it simply got squashed a long time ago. Because church is really good at squashing passionate people. We do that a lot, unfortunately. But that passion is still there. And still there because passion is God-given. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You can't get a more passionate statement than that, can you? That God loved this world that he created so much that he gave Jesus for it. That is an act of passion. What are you passionate about? What is it that stirs your heart and soul? Maybe you need to resurrect that passion a little bit. Maybe you need to go searching for it again. But it's there. I know it's there in some way. And it might not be passion for an activity. It might be passionate for a group of people. A specific group of people who you know need to hear the gospel, who need to hear truth, who need to be set free. 
that could be an indicator of how God wants to use you in, your, in the world. Bill Hybels talked about something different. He talked about holy discontent. What makes you angry? Because one part of passion is actually anger. There's something very deeply connected between passionate and anger. Is there something that really winds you up? Is there something that kind of gets you like, oh, someone needs to do something about that, and we always want someone else to do it? Maybe God's placed in you that sense of discontent because he wants you to do something about it. Too often we get passive, don't we? We want, we want someone else to start something and then we might join in if it's what we want to join in with. But God's looking for people who are the pioneers, who will start things, who will be a catalyst for something. God's always looking for those people. Now, passion will only get you so far. You need other things. You need to be organised. You need to have other people around you and all those kind of things. But quite often, every purpose starts with a passion. And of course, it also starts with a call. God's call upon your life. See, within this overarching purpose of bringing God's salvation to the world, God might be calling you to something specific. Now, your call might simply be, do, take what's in your hand, meet with the people that you have influence over and share the gospel with all of them as much as you possibly can. That's what your call might be. Or your call might be for something further along the line. Or your call might be something bigger. Because as you start to to reach out to those who are closest to you in your circle of influence, you might suddenly discover that actually you're really, really, really good at certain things and that God has equipped you in a certain way and enabling you to move beyond that circle of friends to an even bigger circle of influence and an even bigger circle of influence than that. But it starts with a call. That still small voice of God speaking into your soul, drawing you on for something else. Making you a little bit discontent where you are. And you know that there's something more. And that's only for some people. Probably only a few people. But there is that sense of call. And it'll be persistent. And it'll be niggling in your mind. And it will be there all the time until you do something about it. Next thing I just want to say is this. Set your past on fire. There's a great story uh, between uh, Elijah and Elisha, two Old Testament prophets. You'll see it in 1 Kings, uh, this particular part, sorry, 1 Kings 19. Elijah has been a fantastic prophet, a, a kind of really kind of gutsy prophet who's done incredible things. And God is about to call him to heaven. And he needs a successor. And God points out Elisha. And uh, Elijah is walking along uh, some fields. He sees Elisha with a plough plowing a field. And he knows that's the person 
that God has called to be his successor. And this is what it says in 1 Kings 19. Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him. Elisha then, that was a, a massive sign of whatever God has given me is now on you. And it says, uh, uh, Elisha left his oxen, ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah, replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him, went back. He took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, burned the plow equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. See, in that very act of throwing his cloak over Elisha, Elijah was saying, everything that God has anointed me with is now on you. The call that God has placed upon my life is now on you. Elisha knew that. That's why he knew he had to go and say goodbye to his mum and dad. And he, Elisha was so committed to this one act of following after Elisha that he slaughtered the 12 oxen he was plowing with and burned his plow. There was no plan B for Elisha. He says, I am all out for this. There is no going back. It's this or nothing. Everything that was his background, everything that was his livelihood, a plough would be one of the most valuable pieces in a family's life because it enabled them to have food. Enabled them to sell food for other things. And he burnt it. He was making an act of commitment. I find that fascinating. He left everything behind. And we see that, don't we, with the disciples. Jesus is walking by a lakeside. And he says, come follow me. And they left everything and followed him. See, the one reason I think that most people struggle with their sense of purpose is this. They are still living with plan B. You're still hedging your bets. I'm still trying to live a bit of my old life and I know what I do this to the life. When God does this, then I'll leave the old life behind. But that's not the deal. You either step into God's purpose or you don't. You can't have a foot in both camps. And if you are to be a true follower of Jesus, he calls you to leave everything behind. To pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow him. It's an act of utter, complete commitment. And until you learn about that commitment, until you actually enact that commitment in some way, you will always have a foot in two camps and you'll never discover the purpose that God has for you. And whether that purpose is simply proclaiming the good news to every man, woman and child that you come across, or to completely change a nation, anything in between requires exactly the same commitment. It requires you to leave it all behind. I never understood this, but I actually did it. When, um, I don't know how much I've told you about my uh, kind of call to ordination and all that kind of stuff, but uh, I, uh, in the Church of England, when you, get, um, uh, when you try and work out whether you're going to be a vicar or not, you have to go to a selection conference. Three days of hell, that's what it is, where uh, a number of people watch you do all sorts of things. I mean, it was, it's a nightmare to do. Some people enjoy it, I never did. I went to two of these things and never got accepted. Never. I'm actually a fake. (laughs) 
Um, and uh, on the second one, I had a place already at college. Andrew and I had been married for just under a year. Oh, actually, just over a year. And uh, I had a place at college in, in Nottingham. And I thought, what are we going to do? I can't go there to be trained to be a vicar. I can't because I haven't been accepted. And so Andrew and I talked about it, we prayed about it, and we thought, right, what do we think God's calling us to do? Serve him. How are we going to do that? We need to be trained. We're going to go to college. So without any idea about what I was going to do, without any sense of God's call upon my life, because I'd just been squashed by the Church of England, apparently, uh, I went to train. I left my job. We left our families. Uh, we left a house, well it wasn't a house, a flat that we were renting, uh, and we just set off. We had no money. I had no money for training, and I had to find £5,000 a year for the course, and we had nothing to live on. Fortunately, the college were very gracious with us. They helped us out. Uh, they believed in the call that I had upon my life. And it wasn't until the February that the Church of England, well, it was Bishop David Shepherd, uh, decided to overturn the decision and say, we will accept you for training. But we had a whole term of just like, well, we're just going for it. We left everything behind and went for it. At that point, I didn't understand what it meant to be, well, I'm just living out my commitments. For me, it was just like, this is God's call upon my life. This is what I think my purpose is, and I need to go after it with all of my heart. And if all your purpose is, and when I say all, I don't mean that in any kind of derogatory way. If your purpose is to simply bring the good news to every man, woman, and child that you meet within your circle of influence, then you go after that with all of your heart, with no plan B, with no sense of, well, I'll just try and keep a bit of my old life and do a little bit of the new life. It doesn't work that way. If you want to see fruit, it comes out of that commitment to do the whole thing. And we look at churches in other countries and we go, oh, isn't it fantastic what they're doing? They're all growing and all that kind of stuff. It's because they are living out a committed life. Those individual people have burned their past and are going after Jesus with everything. I'm just going to wind up. So two final things. Finally, be with the right people. If you're to discover purpose don't hang around with half-hearted people what I hope for in every mission community is that they become red hot centers of people living out their purpose for Jesus with no sense of holding anything back that should be our aim for every mission community that should be our aim for church that we are living out our purpose passionately to see every man, woman and child come to know Jesus as we do. If you hang out with people who are only half-hearted, who only play at this, then you will simply become like them. A friend of mine, he, um, uh, from my old church, uh, he was in recovery from addiction to alcohol and drugs. Um, lovely, lovely guy. And he'd uh, become a Christian, he got himself clean and dry, and he, he was doing really well. He's even started his own little cleaning business. Fantastic guy, lovely guy. And he wanted to see his friends come to know Jesus. Some of them were kind of half-hearted Christians and that kind of stuff. So he started to hang around with them. And instead of them becoming like him, he became like them. 
See, there's a reason why Jesus got 12 disciples together. Because we actually need each other to stay on track. We need each other to stay on fire for Jesus. We need each other to stay committed and wholehearted for Jesus. And we should each be encouraging each other to do that. To be wholeheartedly on fire for Jesus. Now having said all that, let me finish with this. Uh, In our seeking our sense of purpose and seeking to live out our lives completely and wholeheartedly for Jesus in a way that allows us to proclaim the good news to every man, woman and child. In trying to do that, you're going to fail. You're going to mess up massively. But the great thing is this, we live in grace. We live in grace. And maybe at one point in your life, you knew you were kind of living out the purpose that God had given you and then it all seemed to go astray and now you're not sure where you are with that. We have a God of grace who just wants to get you in the right place to start again. And whenever you fail, whenever you try and share the good news with someone and it all goes badly wrong or or whether you just become half-hearted and lukewarm in your faith, we have a God of grace who will sort you out and put you back on the right track. That's who God is. And so we can keep trying at this. We can keep pressing on with this, knowing that when we fall down flat on our face, he'll pick us up and say, come on, go again. And you'll fall down again and he'll pick you up and say, let's go again. That is our God, isn't it? And in all the mess that you make of trying to find your purpose, God's purpose for your life, remember that he is first and foremost a God of grace. And every time you fail, he'll put you right. Every time you fall, he'll pick you up. Should we stand?